This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, gentlemen, sometimes the direction of Cardinals Underground is out of all our hands. Pauly Podcast, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard. Sometimes the consultants take over. Not sure if you guys were aware, but Cardinals Underground now does have the consulting agency of, uh, well, Calvisi Consulting, because that's the only operation that will hire Calvisi Consulting, and they're actually working pro bono to try and prove that they do have a client, and then maybe they can get real paying clients. So that being the case, um, the first piece of advice unfortunately from the suits uh, would be that we need to figure out a way to work Tim Tebow, obviously, into Cardinals underground. So not to be too hard hitting right off the top and smack you upside the head, but I want to know right here, right now, Darren Urban, Kyle Odegaard, if you had to pick one tight end for your roster, 2021, would it be Tim Tebow or Bernhard Psychovitz. And I'll buy you some time by saying, don't call him Bernard. No, 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 no. It's Bernhard is in longer. Uh, Bernhard Psychovitz from Austria, the International Pathway Program. Darren Urban, what says you? Uh, that's a fantastic question, Paul. Uh, first of all, I don't even know if we technically have to talk about Tim Tebow. As long as we put him in the title of the podcast, it'll get lots of... Uh, Lots of Google hits. Um, That's some thinking. You know what? You're on retainer, Darren, by Calvisi Consulting. We like that thinking. I'm a big I, – I do enjoy the uh, little interaction that we have had with uh, Bernhard Sykovitz, Uh and I am hopeful that uh, he has some success. Now, whether he's actually on the active roster, he's just around all year as the bonus practice squad player, we'll see. Clearly, the Cardinals can use tight ends, but uh, this kid – when he starts talking about liking football because he gets to hit people and, uh, and, and just uh, embracing this whole thing and not saying he's not really nervous because, Hey, I've been working on this for two years to try and get the NFL. What would there really be anything to be nervous about? I I mean, I, I like everything about it. Now I don't know if he can play football on this level, but we'll see. Well, he, he definitely has put in the sweat equity. Has he not Kyle? Think about it. He was a quarterback. Then they moved him a receiver for a brief time. He didn't get picked by the NFL by an NFL team. So they told him you had to improve your measurables, which he did. He put on some 25 pounds and now he's going to try tight end. So hey, you know, and he's going to move to uh, another part of the world. He's never been to Arizona in his life. And he's quarantining for 14 days in some hotel room before he even begins his nascent NFL career. So, I mean, the dude wants it from what we can tell. First and foremost, I've seen a couple of comments referring to him as Psycho. So I hope that's his nickname and that's what he goes by. And I think that's like part of his Instagram handle. So it's an easy call. Do you want Tebow or Psycho? I'm obviously going to take Psycho. And yeah, I mean, he definitely wants this opportunity. He's not nervous. I mean, like Darren said, he was very confident in his media session and he believes in his ability. We'll see if there's a huge wake-up call when he gets out on the field with these NFL athletes, but he's got the size, he's got some sort of talent, and maybe it'll take him a while to adjust, but it'll be interesting. Let's make this clear, Paul. Um, We were hoping never to have to discuss Tim Tebow again on this podcast, Um, but but lo and behold, there he is out there again for the world to to gnaw on, and uh, I guess we just can't get away from 2012. I mean, forget about the fact he hasn't played since the 2015 preseason, Tim Tebow. Forget about the fact he's never played tight end at any level of football. In fact, let me tell you guys a story. You ready for this one? I believe it was 2015. Could have been 14. It was his final preseason with the Denver Broncos. And the reason I say that is because it was a fourth and final preseason game. It was at State Farm Stadium. You can look it up. And... 
Tim Tebow got some reps in the fourth quarter. Now, at this point, the fourth preseason game, anybody who's anybody, A, doesn't dress. B, they never make it past the bench with their cup of sunflower seeds in their hand. But as soon as Tebow got into the game, all these players came up to the white stripe. I mean, the main starters, everyone wanted to look at Tebow, especially the receivers. They wanted to see, they were talking among themselves, what sort of ball does he throw? Like, that's how a receiver looks at a quarterback. How catchable is it? What what style? And so, and, and let me tell you, he didn't show well. And it was no mistake that that was his final action in the NFL at quarterback because there were a few uh, shakes of the head and a few grimaces. And yeah, it wasn't exactly a uh, receiver's dream to catch a pass uh, from Tim Tebow. And all you have to do is Google that up. But here's the sub question. Who sells more jerseys? One with Tebow on the back or Psycho on the back? Yeah, I, because just because Tim Tebow couldn't play baseball, didn't keep the Mets from signing him and then sending him to every single minor league team they had for a good six months to sell out all their jerseys and then sell more merchandise at the next level and then go to the next minor league team. I mean, the guy was a, was a marketing and merchandising maven and Bernhard Psychovitz might be the same for the Cardinals. I, I will say that, look, don't get me wrong. There are definitely um, other factors at play sometimes when you talk about quarterbacks coming from college and into the NFL and teams want to switch positions with them. And sometimes uh, it's not the smart thing to do. And sometimes it might be. And I just keep Logan Thomas. Of, well, that's where I was going with it. Oh, I mean, okay. Logan Thomas was another guy like Tim Tebow who at refused to change. Now, Logan Thomas figured it out quickly enough before he got out of the league altogether that it would probably make more sense to play tight end. If Tim Tebow would have done the same thing, he might have stuck around because I thought the same thing of Tim Tebow, that he probably was going to make a better tight end and he just didn't want to do it just like Logan Thomas. I mean, I remember talking to Logan Thomas face-to-face and asking him if he had any interest in playing tight end. And he looked at me like he wanted to punch my lights out. Like, how dare I bring that up? And obviously it's worked out pretty well for him. Yeah, ask his accountant right now about how, how, how that's going for him. So he has an established spot in the NFL, no doubt about it. What number, speaking of jerseys, I'm going to put Kyle on the spot since you've been all up on all these numbers and you're a numbers guy, albeit not necessarily jerseys, but what number is Bernhard Psycho going to be? I don't know. I, all, oh, I keep, all I keep thinking is Calvisi Consulting needs a spokesman and Psycho should be their spokesman. I think that's going to get you some jobs. If you have Psycho as your spokesman, you should look into that, Paul. I think I think his initial number is 43. But 43. it's 43. 43, and I but I think it's 43 offense because I think there's a 43 <laughs> defense right now, which they kind of know you know where you are in the totem pole when you're you're having to double up a number. <laughs> if, if the coaches don't tell you where you stand on the depth chart and what was BA's line, if you want to know where you stand, just walk into my office, I'll tell you. If you're too afraid to actually get the honest truth and you see that somebody else shares your number on the initial roster, there's all you need to know. You've got a long road to hoe. So, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, sure, I mean, let me ask you this. Is it too crazy for me to extrapolate that the fact the Cardinals were assigned – a player from Europe, does that mean the Cardinals are playing one of those international games? Can we connect the dots on that one? Well, since the league, uh, as we recorded this, has announced that there is going to be two games in London only this year, and one is in Jackson, one at Jacksonville and one at Atlanta, and the Cardinals do play at Jacksonville this year, I, I guess I couldn't completely rule it out, especially since the news has leaked out that uh, – the, the league will not be going back to Mexico City this year because of COVID. So any chance of the Cardinals getting that home game in Mexico City is not going to be this year. Um, so I guess the door is open for the Cardinals at Jacksonville. Somehow I don't think that's going to happen, but that's just – I'm speculating at this point. Well, and albeit if the Cardinals are going to play an international game, we all expected it to be a home game they were giving up because of that Super Bowl rule. But does that Super Bowl rule – exist any longer where if you're hosting a Super Bowl you have to give up a home game to the international series or have they amended that I I don't know where that rule stands exactly I mean I would think that the Cardinals since they were committed to it were supposed to still do it 
it's going to be interesting because starting not this year, but next year, uh, the international games are going to be rotated. And I think that's going to be part of the whole um, 17 game schedule situation and having that extra game and teams are going to have to give up a home game no matter who you are. So I don't know if that just goes off into the ether or what happens. It's a, it's a good, good question though. I know, I do know that Michael Bidwell, I think would like to play a game in Mexico city. So I would be surprised if this team didn't end up in Mexico city one way or the other in the next few years. Here's the next question then Kyle, speaking to the schedule, which non division opponent would you look most forward to the Arizona Cardinals playing this upcoming season? I forgot we were going to talk about that, and I didn't do any research. Um, here we go. Non-division opponents. I got them right here because everybody's asking themselves the same thing right now. You got Carolina. You got Houston. You got Indy. You got Minnesota. And then in terms of the road games, at Chicago, at Dallas, at Detroit. No, they're not in the NFC West. It just seems like it because they play them every year. At Cleveland, at Jacksonville, as Darren said, at Tennessee. Hmm. I, I mean, for me, I'm 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 going to be curious to see that the Houston game, just because with J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins, I mean those are guys that are going to be ramped up to do big things, and we all know that usually guys get a little excited for those kinds of games, anyways. But I, I think both those guys have certain situations. It'd be different, a little bit different if Bill O'Brien was still around, but still, it'll be. I, I just I find it very fascinating the possibility of them being able to, to play against them at this point in their careers and, and what they want to do. Kind of like what, I'll go with, I'll go with the Cardinals and Browns just because of Baker and Kyler. I, I thoroughly enjoyed their first meeting in 2019. Just those two guys being so ultra competitive. I just think you're guaranteed a great game Cardinals and Browns just based on Baker and Kyler. So even though it means, uh, a trip to Cleveland, which if it's in December, uh, hashtag it can always get worse. Although we love the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Browns fans are great. We respect Browns fans. Um, you know, if I was picking it on the venue alone, I'd go with Dallas. But that being the case, you know what, just Kyler and Baker. Yeah, bring it on. And I'm guessing that'll be on national TV. Could be. And I kind of like the you said Tennessee's on the road, right? Yeah. Correct. That That's an interesting game to me where I feel like obviously the Cardinals are pushing to make the playoffs and there's going to be four or five games that you're playing a team that'll probably be around your talent level. And if the Cardinals can win four of those. They're going to be in great shape. And if they go three and two in those or 500, then you're starting to wonder exactly whether it'll be in the standings and a game at Tennessee to me feels crucial. A team that is solid you're on the road. It's not an easy one. If the Cardinals win games like that next season against the Cowboys is another one. I think they'll be in good shape. So I think those are the types of games that I'm really going to be keyed in on these teams that are about the same level of talent. And can the Cardinals win those games when last year it was up and down? Sometimes they won some, sometimes they lost those close games, especially late. And at the end of the season, it meant they didn't make the playoffs. So how do they do against these like-minded and, and about equally talented opponents. And I'm now putting Darren on the spot. The last time the Arizona Cardinals played on Thanksgiving was it 2008, the Super Bowl season at Philly. Was that the game? I believe so. I believe that was uh, the last time it was on Thanksgiving and God, I really hope the Cardinals wouldn't have a road game at night on the East coast which was, that was the toughest part of that whole thing. I mean, what, what are you having to travel across the country? We can't do this? Come on now. Yeah, I, I remember that game for three reasons. One, uh, you just mentioned it, a night game on the East Coast, on the road on Thanksgiving Day. Two, uh, the weather, it was freezing. It yeah. was, ew, oh boy. And then number three, there was actually a listener to Cardinals Underground. This is a true story. And he came down to the rail. He was wearing a Matt Liner jersey. And he came down to the front rail in Philly. And let's just say uh, the Eagles fans were highly lubricated on Thanksgiving Day. And they didn't have to work the next day. So it was, uh, it was a raucous crowd, I, I would venture to describe them as. And this guy was at the front of the rail. And I had my radio headphones on. Finally, somebody just punched me in the chest, said, Calvisi, that guy's trying to get your attention. I turn around. It was a fine listener to Cardinals Underground. Hey, Paulie Pinselnick, what's going on, man? Yeah, shout out. Hey, great. You know, well, he had been shouting my name enough 
that the rest of the game, every time I went down the sideline, the whole front row of the Eagles fans, hey, Paul, you bleep and bleep, bleep, bleep. And it was all first name basis. Me and every insult and bleep you could get in the book for the next three quarters. So uh, although I appreciated the love uh, for our podcast here, it uh, could have been uh, better executed by the fan. Are you sure that he was he didn't give away your name or did we just have a bunch of Cardinals underground listeners from Philadelphia as well? I don't think you should sell yourself short. This is a dare I say this is a global podcast at this you point? You know what? You know what, Calvisi Consulting will run the advanced demos on that, and we'll try and get some audience research uh, information uh, on that one. The reason I bring up things—I was going to say—it just shows you how long we've been around, Paul. I mean, that's—I like know, 2008 season, man. I know. That was already our second season at Cardinals Underground. Earlier today, I interviewed Vince Tobin, former Cardinals head coach, and uh, everyone will know why in a, in a few months. And um, anyway, uh, we were talking about Jake Plummer and Pat Tolman, and I just said to. Vince Tobin, love Vince Tobin, by the way, wonderful man. I just said, coach, it's like we're in the hot tub time machine from 25 years ago. I'm asking you about Jake Plummer and Pat Tillman. Uh, and so anyway, by the way, our Jim Omohundro, fine producer, Cardinals Underground, surmises, what about Cardinals at Cowboys in the middle Thanksgiving Day game as they maximize Kyler and Cliff going back to Texas and Dak Prescott back with the Cowboys there's a lot of storylines there on Turkey Day, right, Kyle? Yeah, and that was obviously a, a primetime game last year, and Cardinals were awesome in it. We didn't have Dak in that game, but that was probably the Cardinals' best game of the season, all things considered. I mean, they even with Kyler Murray having some accuracy issues early on, they just dominated that game, and you could see that. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. They always do look for storylines, and – It'll be interesting what kind of buzz the Cardinals get as far as when the schedule makers look at it. Um, there's obviously the more high profile teams in the NFC, but the Cardinals are reaching this point where they have a lot of big names. You had JJ Watt and AJ Green to D hop and Kyler. I mean, there's, there's some big names on this team now. So does that grab their attention more? Do the Cardinals not quite have that panache because they went eight and eight last season. Uh, interested to see exactly what it means for this season. And maybe we're still a year away for them being kind of that it team. You got to make it to the playoffs first and show that you can do it before we give you all these national games. How about, how about Cardinals at Lions on Thanksgiving morning? Then we get back sooner because they got to go to the Lions too. So there's that. There is that. You're absolutely right. And then you get the three day weekend as Kurt Warner used to say, when you play on Thanksgiving day, right? So uh, it's not all bad. So uh, there you go. Okay. Speaking of three, it's a single digit. Who's wearing three now? What is the latest on the Cardinals number situation? See, this is why I go by, live by the hashtag, no math. So now we have all these numbers. I need someone to help me out here. I need, I need to put this down. I need a flip Buddha. card here in May to get ready for August and September. Uh, number three, actually, is going to be our special guest in the Big Red Rage this week. Buddha Baker will wear number three this year. Uh, what do you think about that, guys? Give me your reaction. Kyle, you're nodding your head. You're in, you're in favor of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of getting into the single-digit jersey thing. I aren't, I'm not usually a big jersey number or jersey, jersey uniform carer. I don't have much of an opinion usually, but... I, I kind of like the idea of these single digits for some of these stars. I mean, a lot of time it's obviously quarterbacks, but then it's a lot of specialists that usually have the single digits. So I think it'll be fun. Buddha, Chase Edmonds will be two, Byron Murphy seven. Those are some good solid numbers and some James good Connor. players to match. James Conner is wearing six. We've got a backfield of two single digit running backs. That'll <laughs> be interesting. And Kyler Murray wearing number one. So yeah, I mean, the right, Kyler Murray won. Chase Edmonds, two, and, and, and then you got Buddha, three, uh, and James Conner, six. See, I don't mind that necessarily. It's when you have the 330-pound defensive lineman wearing eight. <laughs> I, I just – I don't like that. And, and I know some colleges do that. You know, you, you see that in high school. No. When the nose tackle has a single digit, I'm sorry I draw the line there. That's fair. I, I understand that completely. Uh, it can't happen on this level because that the single digits are – limited beyond the uh the linemen but uh i i kind of get it. what i'm curious about is like what ends up happening with some of those other single digits 
you know, Cole McDonald, the four string quarterback right now is number nine. And if he somehow doesn't stick around, does somebody grab number nine at the end of training camp, which they can still do. And that's the other thing that I've been, you know, all these things are, can always be tentative. Numbers can still change. And, and in a lot of ways, numbers do change uh, when we get to training camp, especially with some of these rookies. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a lock that any, all the draft picks stay with the numbers they are or whatever it might be, because if numbers become available, guys can switch. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see at the end, if you're into that sort of thing, but it is, it is kind of interesting to pay attention to. Byron Murphy, number seven. If we didn't say that, uh, is it out of line if we ask Buddha Baker on the Big Red Rage, you know, as a crass or too personal classifying info, we say, hey, Buddha, how much did you spend to buy out all the old 32 jerseys? Is that, you know, akin to asking somebody how much they make? Is that is that out of line? Should I have Wolfley ask that question? I, I don't think it's out of line because I want to know, Paul, so I'm expecting you to ask it. There you go. All right. We'll go TMZ and we'll, we'll ask that question. We'll get we'll get nosy and we'll see what Buddha has to say about what sort of investment he, he had to make in that one. My uh, favorite my favorite number in Jersey story is Benito Santiago when he used to wear, I think, nine, but he wore zero nine on his back because he was a catcher and had the equipment in the middle. So he added the zero so you could see his full number on the back. That's I've never awesome. heard that. That's, that's good. That's, that's uh, some ra- that's some random uh, trivia right there. Yeah, that's that that that, that is solid. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, so uh, look, you mentioned Cole McDonald. Is he going to stick? You know, uh, is Cole McDonald going to be part of this rookie minicamp? He is, right? Even though I think he's a year in, I'm sure they're going to put him in there. They need the arm in camp anyway, I, right? I believe so. I'm I'm not really sure how the rookie minicamp plays out under protocol, uh, COVID protocols. I know there's a lot fewer. I mean, ultimately, they're only going to have four or five undrafted rookies this year, which is way low. They're only allowed to have five tryout players. Usually, there's like 25 or 30. Uh, so I don't know how much, what exactly the work you're exactly going to be able to do if you're able to do any 11 on 11. I'm guessing not. But usually on these years, you can get um, guys out there that are uh, have less experience, guys with one or two years in the league all that kind of stuff so that, you know, I, I would be surprised. Now, I don't know if it's mandatory. Uh, in fact, I know it's not mandatory if you're not a rookie, but um, I, I could see them asking like Isaiah Simmons to come, anybody from last year's rookie class so that you would get a chance to get some extra time on the field. Now, I'll be curious to know if they're out there. I don't know if they will or not. Um, and, and obviously, as we know, the Players Association is making a big push for players not to come to a lot of, the off-season stuff, so I don't know how much that might affect things as well. You know, it's easy to dismiss a rookie minicamp from the outside looking in, but Isaiah Simmons missing rookie minicamp was part of what Vance Joseph estimated to be over a thousand snaps that he missed of reps between the time he was drafted and the time he made his debut in week one against the 49ers in Santa Clara. So. You know, if, if you're going to believe that, hey, uh, guess what? The Niners get off to that quick 7 nothing lead and they run the wheel route to the running back and then boom, there goes Raheem Mostert and he's gone. And guess who's covering him or at least thought he was supposed to cover him, but he's a step late. And guess what? All that can be traced to an offseason where these rookies need to react, not think, but react. And so if you're going to bring a guy in, for example, a Zayvon Collins, you can talk about a Zayvon Collins competing with Jordan Hicks all you want. But if he doesn't know the playbook and Vance Joseph doesn't trust David Collins, sorry, he's not going to be in the game. So to me, these rookie minicamps are essential. Yeah, I don't care if you're a first rounder or an undrafted guy. you got to know what you're doing once you're out there on the field in an NFL game. And if you're a half a step slow, then it's too late. And, and that's to your own demise. So I'm not dismissing these rookie minicamps, even though I guess they'll be scaled back. That's still going to be imperative, I think, to the future of so many of these guys. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You look at the Cardinals' first three draft picks, Zayvon Collins, Rondell Moore, Marco Wilson, all of those guys, if they pick up things quickly, you could see them having a pretty prominent role early in their rookie season. And if they don't, as you said, Jordan Hicks is there at inside linebacker. You've got three veteran receivers 
that will play a lot. And if Rondell Moore isn't ready, you just play Christian Kirk and AJ Green full time, and you don't let Rondell Moore see the field that much. And Marco Wilson, same thing. If if he's not going to compete with Robert Alford for that starting job, then he's not going to play. So I think the rookie camp is. Uh, essential for these guys and not just the rookie camp, but any type of things they can do mentally in meetings. We've seen over and over how much rookies are swimming with the terminology uh, those first couple months. And this is a big deal for them to try to soak up as much as they can before training camp and try to get into the playbook and realize what they need to do. And I think your Isaiah Simmons play is a great example where he's not as fast as Raheem Mostert, but Isaiah Simmons is such an athletic freak that if he wasn't thinking about what to do on that play, maybe he covers it better. And maybe it's a 10 yard gain instead of 80 or whatever it was. So yeah, I agree. I think these rookies, they need to figure it out quickly in order to have a chance at playing early and this rookie camp and this off season is huge for them. What do coaches hate more than anything else? The unknown when they go into a game and they're not exactly sure, is this guy ready? Uh, does he truly know the playbook? And, you know, for everything the preseason isn't, you can at least test their knowledge of the playbook for the most part. Sure, you're running vanilla defenses, but if he's messing that up, then that's an obvious sign he's not ready for the regular season. So to me, it is vital, and I'm not exactly sure to Darren's point where we're heading here with the rest of the offseason. I guess you're guaranteed a rookie minicamp and a mandatory minicamp on the field this year, Darren, and, and the rest is a little bit fluid right now between the league and the in the NFL PA I will say that you know I go back the first team I ever really got into in football was a team that won the Super Bowl the 81 Niners growing up and that 81 Niners team if you go back Ronnie Lott was a rookie and two other starters in the defensive backfield were rookies Eric Wright Carlton Williamson was the strong safety and they were all out of the draft and by the end of the preseason Bill Walsh said you know what they're our best three out of the four DBs and they had a veteran free safety who sort of coordinated things. And by December they were balling and obviously the rest is history. And Bill Walsh's third year took a two win Niners team and they won the Super Bowl under Joe Montana his second year starting. And so, you know, to your point, Kyle, yeah, I think of Marco Wilson and maybe Gowan Island himself. He's so supremely confident in his own abilities. I could see these guys have an impact if not in September, definitely as we get into the last two months of the year. It's funny, though, number one, Bill Walsh, great drafter. Those are some great names that he happened to get in one draft. And the other thing, too, is that's a whole different ball game in 1981. The passing games that they were yes. facing were not what uh, these defensive backs will be facing. And I think that's a big part of it, too. You mean Ken Anderson and the Cincinnati Bengals weren't dialing it up like Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees? Is that what you're saying? Or, or no, a Sean McVay? That, that – offense that with Chris Collinsworth uh, catching passes and Ken Anderson throwing the ball. I mean, Pete Johnson running it. I mean, it's not like the Bengals had a bad offense, but you're also talking about the, uh, the best offense in the AFC. And, and what would have really been interesting is if the chargers hadn't had to go into the 40 billion degree wind chill of Cincinnati and in the AFC championship. And uh, it would have been the chargers. And that, if you want to talk about a team that was ahead of its time, former Cardinals coach Don Coriel making Dan Fouts and John Jefferson and Charlie Joyner and Kellen Winslow. That would have been an interesting test for that 49ers defensive backfield. Yeah, you're right. That, that would have been a heck of a Super Bowl. No doubt about that. And you know what? That's a great point. But in terms of 2021, I don't know what the analytics say, Kyle, in terms of personnel groups on defense, but how often are teams going with five DBs, six DBs in today's game? So whereas the Niners, I'm guessing, play 90% of their snaps with a four defensive back secondary, now your base defense, heck, half the time has to be five DBs, nickel and dime. So with that being said, there's more room for rookies to get into the mix. And I'm guessing the Cardinals are going to be one of those teams, especially considering the offenses they have to face this year in the division, if nothing else. Yeah, I think it's up to 75 or 80% of the time you're playing five defensive backs. And that's kind of 
into the calculus of what we're already talking about, though. Like when I think of a starting lineup, I'm thinking nickel. Like Byron Murphy to me is a starting cornerback for the Cardinals. And then you've obviously got Malcolm Butler. So the question, as we've been talking about ad nauseum this offseason, is the number two cornerback on the outside. And that, yeah, I mean, I think Robert Alford is certainly the leader in the clubhouse. And if he falters, I still feel like the most logical thing or the most likely thing would be a free agent veteran to come in and, and help compete for that. Because I don't think you want to put Marco Wilson and take Allen in that type of situation being day three picks. If you took somebody at 16 overall, I think the expectation would have been higher. And we've heard that was Zayvon Collins, but I, I, and I think Marco Wilson and Tay Gowan are going to have to show immediately that they can pick things up quickly. And we've seen it with certain guys, Tyron Matthew and Buda Baker came in and they showed a lot right off the bat. And those guys were higher draft picks with extreme physical and mental ability. So can Marco Wilson or Tay Gowan do that type of thing early? And that's why I think this is so important. Like some guys just get it fast and you, the coaches can tell when these guys just naturally get it and have those instincts. And if either of those guys can do that early, maybe that does change the calculus where you feel like, Hey, we're okay playing a rookie. If it comes to that, if somebody gets hurt or if they can compete for the starting job and if not, then maybe you start looking at veterans more closely. And I just want to throw out there too, cause it kind of hit me as we're talking about this, the flip side of this, which I think, you know, we can talk about how short they are in the secondary or inexperienced they might be at some place in the secondary. But on the other side of that, I agree with you that most of the time you're going to have five DBs out there. And, uh, and if you do that, and then you have two key linebackers now, again, we're going to have to see about the experience of Simmons and Zayvon Collins and where Jordan Hicks fix, fits in. But with the edge rushers, everybody wants to talk about, well, what are they going to do at defensive line? What are they going to do at defensive line? And then all of a sudden, if you've got five DBs out there and four linebackers, then you only need to f- come up with those two inside uh, defensive linemen uh, most of the time. And I, I think in that case, I mean, people worry about, well, well who are they going to put out there? Well, you've, you've got some guys. You've got Jordan Phillips. You've got J.J. Watt. Um, you've got Lecky Fotu. You've got Rashard Lawrence. I, I think you can get away with it because you're going to be playing two defensive linemen most of the time, I would think. I've been meaning to mention this. You just named all the defensive linemen. Do you think Except I'll be Allen. Except for Zach, Zach Allen. Allen. Zach Allen. Absolutely, Zach Allen. What about Corey Peters? Do you guys happen to notice in Cardinals' flight plan, I think it was J.J. Watt making the rounds, the meet and greets as he went through the weight room? Corey Peters had a cameo. He's okay. in there working out, Darren. I, and, and people have pointed that out to me, but here's, here's the, the catch to that one, Paul. J.J. Watt signed on March 1st, so that was before the beginning of the league year. Corey Peters was still under contract, and he was going to be rehabbing and lifting weights here. Once the new league year started – I mean, I haven't been able to be down there because of protocols, but I'm fairly confident Corey Peters has not been around because he was allowed to be at that point. Once he became a free agent and his contract officially ended, he's not around. Now, I've seen that many times over the years where guys who are about to become free agents still are in working out. Um, their names might not be as big time as Corey Peters. And I, I don't know if I'd completely rule out Corey Peters being back, um, but right now this team... Uh, we'll be going into next week out of the rookie mini camp and OTA is allegedly starting. We'll see how that goes or, or whenever the OTAs start, but they're going to have 90 guys on the roster. So at this point, when you start signing guys after rookie mini camp, it's going to be a one in one out deal. So if you sign a guy, that doesn't mean they won't, but they're, they're past the point. I mean, even with fits at this point, they're past the point where you, you're just adding a guy to build up the roster or you, you've left a spot open for him. Now you're, you're having to create a spot. That's an astute observation, by the way, as to the date of which the Corey Peters uh, sighting occurred versus the beginning of the league year. The big brain of Darren, uh, one of the great aspects here at Cardinals Underground. I'm not sure if you're on the level with uh, Victor Demukeji with his degree from Duke in evolutional anthropology, but, you know, pretty close, you know, and that I don't know, like, Brett Toth, uh, the offensive lineman a few years ago, who was in the uh, Army, and uh, he came into the Cardinals O-line room with a degree in physics and nuclear engineering. <laughs> and some of the guys said they tested him. And about 10 seconds into a uh, little bit of a lecture, they said, okay, that's enough. We're out. Uh, thank you. Uh, that's all we need to know on, a- on astrophysics. So uh, thank you, Mr. Brett Toth. So uh, 
Speaking of interviews, though, uh, and as impressive as, as we'll call him Vic is, uh, Tay Gowan. <laughs> Kyle, give me your, your just reaction when he's assigned number 32. And I'm glad he said that because a lot of people might have I don't draw a conclusion that, okay, wait a minute. Um, does your uh, unbridled enthusiasm and confidence run amok here if you just automatically took 32? He was assigned number 32, but at the same time, he said, I aspire to live up to the legacy. So, uh, you know what? If, if confidence is one of the main aspects you need to play corner in the NFL, he's got that box checked, does he not? Yeah, draft day, he, he called himself the Tom Brady of cornerbacks, and now he's he believes he will live up to that legacy of Tyron Matthew wearing 32 and then Buda Baker. And if they didn't assign him 32, but they offered it, I think he would have taken it. I think, like you said, he's a confident kid. And being a six-round pick, it's no guarantee that six-rounders even make the team a lot of the time. So it's not like he's coming in and – is a, a first or second round pick and there's these high expectations for him. Like some people might think he doesn't have the skills to play in the NFL and he completely does. And I agree with you. I think confidence at cornerback is important. I think those guys have to believe in what they're doing. If he goes out there and gets matched up against DeAndre Hopkins in a drill, if you have any sort of doubt in your head against him, you're not going to even have a chance. I mean, you're not going to have a chance most likely anyways because it's D-hop, but if you beat yourself before the snap, it's just going to be the end of that play. So I think confidence is a prerequisite at that position, and Tay Gowan has it. So I'm excited to see what he does. He's clearly a guy that wants to engage with the fan base and, and do a lot. So you root for a guy like that, and now once he gets into camp, he's going to have to show that he has that ability. See, that makes so much more sense to me now because I heard him saying that he wanted to live up to the legacy, and I'm thinking, Michael Pittman? <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. All right, I, Good. I, I may be I may be joking there. Um, well, look, I, I I do shudder a little bit. I'll be honest with you guys. I do shudder a little bit when I hear some of the confidence. Now, it's confidence. It's not proclamations. He's not making any predictions. Uh, the reason I do is because I was standing there a good, I don't know, 10 years ago when former third-round pick linebacker out of Florida State, Buster Davis, <laughs> made – a bunch of declarations that he was going to be the next Ray Lewis. Instead, he put the bust into Buster and never made it out of training camp as a third round pick. So uh, that's, that's the worst case scenario where your opinion of your game is so inflated that you just lose your grip on reality. I don't think that's the case with Tay Gowan. He seems very grounded. The decision he made for his family and his daughter was born premature. Uh, we all respect that. I think I speak for everyone when we say that. So, and, and, you know, his draft status suffered because of it, but uh, I'm curious. I mean, if you gave me one player right now, sure. There's some big name guys, the JJ Watts, the world and AJ green, but next level, if you're talking about the guys they took or signed over draft weekend, I think Tay Gowan is the guy I'm most curious to see just based on the need and the fact how far he fell and his own opinion of his own game. I'm just curious to see if he can back it up. And Greg Williams, the cornerbacks coach who we had never interviewed before on the big red rage said, and I think Darren, you had the quote in your story about Tay Gowan. And the quote was something along the lines of, you know what? He's already shown the work ethic where it's not boasting and not talking. If you back it up with the grind and the work ethic. The, the, here, here's the thing, and I, this is not meant at a, as a diss of Tay Gowan, but just a, a general having been around this team for more than 20 years. I, I, I do. I think the the uh, I think the confidence is good. I don't have a problem with the confidence. I, I don't have a problem with the way he's delivering it. I agree with you. I think it's it is confidence. It's not cockiness. That's my personal feeling. However, you know I. You know, we talk about him falling in the draft, and then it's like, well, did he fall? It's like last year when we were talking all this time about Eno Benjamin and and not getting picked till the seventh round. I mean, did he fall? Is he really falling when all those teams have all those picks and every single one of them is passing on him? I mean, even the Cardinals took somebody else in the sixth round before Tay Gowan, and I hope he turns out really well. But there's there are reasons why guys get picked in the sixth round and and I guess ultimately where I'm going with this is are you going to find Tom Brady in the sixth round once in a while yes are you going to find Richard Sherman in the fifth round once in a while 
Yes, you are. You can have undrafted free agents like Tony Jefferson once in a while. Sure. George Kittle in the fifth round. If you do all the math, and I apologize, Paul, because I know you don't want any math, but if you do all the math and all the picks and all the players, they are absolutely the exceptions to the rule. They are not the rule. It does not happen very often. We remember them because they're the ones who stuck out, but we're not, we're forgetting about every single guy, you know, that's been picked over the last few years. And if, if you go back and look at all the sixth round picks uh, in the NFL over the last five years, I'm guessing most of them, you're not going to remember a lot of them. You're just not. Yeah. Look, I, I'm intrigued, but at the same time, I'll say, I'll say, it. I think he should pump the brakes on Gowan Island. I don't, I don't think you should go with that yet. That is premature. I just, and, and you know what? Um, he'll hear that on the field. If he gets roasted by Brandon Ayuk uh, in week one against the Niners this year, if that indeed is the opening, then you know what? He'll be hearing that. And so you better be ready to live up to that if you're throwing that around and you haven't even hit a rookie minicamp. It doesn't really matter to me. I mean, these guys, their personality is what it is. I'm a big proponent of say what you want. I mean, be, be yourself. If, if you're an extrovert who is confident, go ahead and, and say you're the Tom Brady of corners. And if you're more introverted, then don't say things that make you uncomfortable, but he clearly believes he can play at the NFL level and it'll all get washed out on the field. And I don't think anybody proclaiming something beforehand is going to have any effect on what happens on the field. So I'm just like you guys waiting to see how he looks in camp in rookie camp and how he does this off season, how he does in training camp, as long as it's not something where you think you're so good that you don't have to study. And if it doesn't affect your work ethic or anything, it's good for me. Hey, I'm a, I'm a writer. Give me the good quotes. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way I get ultimately the only reason it would ever matter is if, if you think you're so good that you don't have to work at getting good. If, if it comes along with a work ethic, which was what you said, Greg Williams said, which was what he did. Um, I, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it because I ultimately, if Brandon Ayuk or some receiver, you know, DK Metcalf sees Tay Gowan out there across from him, it doesn't matter if Tay Gowan said, I'm Gowan Island 40 times, or if he didn't say anything, they're going to say, Ooh, a rookie. I'm going to take advantage of this. And I just don't think they're going to play harder because of it. I just don't buy that. Hey, look, at the, look at the confidence in DK Metcalf to enter a race against world-class sprinters, right? Guys who do it for a living. I, you know, just, the, yeah, he finished last in his heat, but just the guts to get out there and compete out of your element against guys with that sort of elite speed. And I, hey, okay. You know, uh, so I, I appreciate the guts. There's no doubt about it. By the way, speaking of, uh, of training camp and draft picks and going back to tight end real quick, I failed to mention, uh, do they have one or two undrafted rookie free agents that they signed at tight end? It was a couple of guys, right? Because they sort they, of like they, corner, they need the numbers right now, don't they? That's reportedly at this point, they're going to bring in two tight ends. We haven't seen the official list yet because uh, that wasn't coming out until the first day of rookie minicamp, but reportedly they do are bringing in two guys. So they'll have some numbers there. And obviously you're, you're forgetting your boy psycho. I mean, he's a tight end too. So. Well, no, that, I'm, I'm building on that, you know, Max oh, wow. Williams, uh, Darrell Daniels, right. Psycho. And then the two undrafted rookie guys reportedly. Yeah, and, and Steve Kimes said after the draft he was going to basically sign somebody in free agency, and I guess you can say undrafted free agents count, but I'm still wondering if there's another domino that falls at tight end because you look at it, and to me it's the leanest position group on the team at this point when you got Max Williams, who's been solid but injury prone, and then Darrell Daniels is kind of a reserve tight end and a lot of unknown after that, so we've been talking about corner all off season and I still think a veteran corner makes sense, but also now tight end looks like the spot that if they're going to add somebody, that would definitely be the spot. It'll be Zach Ertz after June 1st, just saying you guys can re you guys can replay this uh, in about three weeks. That, that, that'll be my, my prediction. We'll see how that, that pans out. Uh, by the way, you know, what was surprising uh, and I hate to go back to numbers, uh, DeAndre Hopkins did not switch numbers, so he's still number ten, right? He did. He did obviously did not go to six because James Conner is number six. So was that a surprise, Darren? No, I mean, I, honestly, I was a little surprised. Other, I mean, I was surprised Buda Baker changed because he just changed, and um, 
you know, I, I, I guess I'm not surprised that Byron Murphy, the new guys, I mean, once, once you change teams, you don't have to worry about changing numbers because you had to get a new number anyway. So I knew guys coming in had a good chance. So it doesn't shock me that James Conner wanted to do that. But ultimately, um, no, I'm not really surprised. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, that'd be like Fitz wanting to be number one. I mean, obviously he's not going to because of Kyler, but I'm like, you, you've become – you get to a certain level of being a player. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is 10. He might've been not 10 in college, but he's become a superstar NFL player with the number 10. Why would you change that now? That doesn't make a lot of uh, sense to me. Yeah. By the way, you know, forget about Larry being number one. Big Red is still number one. You know, Big Red is still the original number one. I saw Big Red earlier today at the Cardinals Charities Golf Tournament. Big Red was out there. So, so. so wait, 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 more importantly, who's the real 24? <laughs> well, and I'm playing. Well, I'm going to play this clip for both of them. So tell me, Paul. Right. Well, honestly, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I, I don't. I think we're the only ones who really would name Wolf as, as number twenty-four anymore. And that's not my words. That's Adrian Wilson. Adrian Wilson has told us point blank to Wolf's face on the Big Red Rage live on the air. Jim Omohunder, I'm sure, has the cut somewhere that uh, I made everyone forget about you wearing number 24. Uh, I went to five Pro Bowls, which was Wolf's fault because Wolf taunted him, said, come back and talk to me, went Mercury Morris on him, talk to me when you're on my block with four Pro Bowls, and then A-Dub went to five. And so, you know, Wolf, Wolf poked the bear and uh, he got them all. So it's, it's his fault. So I don't mind bringing it up. First it's, of all, it's, when you talk about Dub, it's not hard to poke the bear. I mean, you can just right. say, hi, good morning. That's right. And That's right. So – so I think he said when, if and when they put Wolf's name up in the uh, the Ring of Honor, it'll just be his name. There'll be no number because that belongs <laughs> to Adrian Wilson, according to A-Dub. So it's a tough break. It's a tough break for Wolf, you know. Should have stuck with his college number 36, but uh, but but he didn't. So, you know. Uh, by the way, speaking of Kyler and uh, number one, it's been sort of a quiet offseason, hasn't it? The only times we've really heard or seen Kyler is when he's been in some of the NFL cross-promotional video game features and you know, try you know targeting a younger demo and and that sort of stuff um some cross promotion otherwise so kyle is that a good thing you think i don't think it it matters one way or the other i think we're all just kind of waiting to see what he looks like in year three and you're right i mean obviously going into a rookie season everybody wants to know about the young guys the rookies especially being the number one overall pick and even going into year two, there's a lot of intrigue about what kind of jump can you make because coaches always talk about that jump from year one to year two. And But I think this is a legitimate question about where he goes from here because he's such on the tip of stardom, maybe not quite there yet, especially with what happened down the stretch last year. Does he get there in year three? Because once you get to your third season, you feel like it's definitely an attainable goal to be among what do we think is realistic top seven top eight quarterback in the nfl with a good season and i just think we're all in wait and see mode i mean we know what he can do and we know what he's about and what kind of progress has he made kind of incognito we haven't seen him doing workouts and stuff but he's obviously behind the scenes working and to me when they come back what does this passing game look like next season and that's going to say a lot is He's got a couple different weapons this year. You've got A.J. Green and Rondale Moore now. Your offensive line is upgraded. Does Kyler Murray take that take that jump and become a legitimate superstar quarterback? It, you, you mentioned that he's not he hasn't been heard from a lot. I, in a lot of ways, I mean, I feel like we were talking about him at the outset of every podcast last offseason. And yet, I feel like we haven't talked about him much at all. And it's kind of weird because – Ultimately, he's still going to be the the fulcrum to this whole season for the Cardinals, no matter what they do with anything else. It's going to be about how he plays, and and ultimately, yeah, it's going to be um, how he develops in the passing game, and and can they add uh, layers to this passing game that felt not layered by the time the season was over. And the other the other reason why you know it's it's kind of odd that we're not talking about Kyler, or maybe it's a good thing, is because. I feel like this has been the season of the off season of the quarterback, whether you're talking about Russell Wilson's problems or Aaron Rodgers' problems, or, you know, who gets drafted out of 17 different guys in the first round, or, you know, what does Ben Roethlisberger have anything left or is Drew Brees retiring? It just feels like all the quarterbacks in some way, shape or form have gotten talked about except for Kyler, which, you know, maybe that's a good thing. 
it's we. I find myself in this conundrum, this weird spot where you say you try and cite, okay, uh, Kyler is the key. Steve Kime came through and he got Kyler the upgraded offensive line. He got Kyler more weapons in the passing game. He got Kyler an enhanced running game, they think, with the addition of a James Conner. I'm so ready to proclaim that this is all on Kyler. If you listen to the national media, there seems to be a big spotlight, almost crosshairs on Cliff Kingsbury, and, and year three is make or break. In some ways, to me, I start with Kyler, but then I stop myself and I say, now, wait a minute. He just made a Pro Bowl in year two. He was rookie of the year, and he's one of three quarterbacks in the NFC to make the Pro Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Kyler Murray. So I'm almost debating myself, is that sort of level of expectation slash criticism, is that warranted considering what he's already achieved two years in the NFL? Your reaction to that, Kyle? Well, the next debate this, you could just go on against yourself and we can do a mirror image and you could just debate yourself. There you go. Uh, <laughs> a uh, yeah. personality addition. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. I, I think, man, I think he's a star. I think from what we've seen already in the first two years, I mean, expectations can get out of whack a little bit when you see the, just the stupid athletic stuff he does. But I think if you look at it in aggregate for being – I think 21 as a rookie and then 22 last season, only being 23 this year, the things he has already done, like you said, making a pro bowl and having numbers to back it up. Maybe we don't talk about him because there just feels like this certainty that he's, he's ascending to stardom and where is it on the timeline? But I'm just convinced that he's a special, special quarterback. And you talk about the stupid athleticism and obviously I'm not arguing against that, but do you think defenses neutralize that? in the second half of the season? Yeah, I, that's the big question to me is how much is on Kyler and how much is on the offense as a whole? Because I think if we look back, they didn't have a lot of explosive playmakers last season and quarterback numbers look better when you throw somebody a four yard pass and they turned it into a, a 32 yard gain. It just pumps up a lot of numbers. And I don't think a lot of guys had that yards after catch ability beyond Deandre Hopkins and chase Edmonds to an extent. So I think adding a Rondell more to the, to the group helps and Christian Kirk in the slot might be a, a more natural fit. So I, I'm hesitant to put too much of it on Kyler. I think when he was put in a good position to succeed, I think he played at a very high level and like the Rams game, there was a lot of interior pressure and like certain things that made it tough on him. Because I think if you have a strong offense around him, give him time in the pocket and get the zone read working where the running back is getting yards. I just think Kyler Murray is really hard to stop. You know, Darren, it was his rookie year and we all did radio hits around the country and people want to know about Kyler Murray. And one go-to I would always bring up with, with, uh, hosts and listeners in other markets was look Kyler Murray is not a running quarterback who can throw he's a pocket quarterback who can run but in the second half of last year once again I'll go to my what I'm contending is that the defense is adjusted either Kyler and or the Cardinals offense didn't adjust well enough and we've heard from enough analysts in the offseason and former players who have said look it is on Kyler now to improve his game from the pocket and try and attack these defenses and adjust to the adjustment that seemed to be pretty darn effective in the second half of last year. That is unless he had more of a shoulder problem than he suffered in the Seattle game, which has also been alleged out there by various sources and various stories that he never really uh, quite professed to this extent of that injury. If that was a factor in limiting his game, either way, um, I, I think it is on Kyler to improve his overall game as a quarterback. The athleticism is going to be there in year three, but his ability to read and react and get that ball out and go through his progressions and make a defense pay for some of the risky coverages they've employed, I think that is incumbent upon Kyler, even though he made a Pro Bowl in year two. I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, ultimately, you know, coaching is always going to be important, and it doesn't matter. I mean, even if you're Aaron Rodgers, it, you, it always helps to have somebody – with a different perspective than you trying to like help you out in here. But, but ultimately we're getting to that point in Kyler's career where he's been around a couple years. He knows the offense. Well, 
he knows what he needs to improve upon and and he's the guy that's gotta make that happen if he can't and uh so i i do think a lot is on him and that's why when you're the quarterback you get paid a lot of money and 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 that's how it kind of plays out and it's the whole you know you get all the blame and all the glory and ultimately that's that's true but part of the reason isn't just because the quarterback is the quarterback but part of that reason is because the quarterback is the most important position it doesn't matter what you're talking about in football if you get poor quarterback play you're going to have a really tough time succeeding as a team now you could have great quarterback play and still not succeed as a team Houston Texans but you if you get poor quarterback play i just think the, the chance of overcoming that is is really difficult and so yeah there's going to be a bright spot, spotlight on kyler murray this year but there's going to be a bright spotlight on this whole team the way it's built with some of the older veterans uh you know i know steve kime said look i, I this isn't a, i've heard people saying it's not about pushing the chips or it's about pushing the chips in and i don't feel like that's what i'm doing but from the outside, I can understand why people would look at it that way. And it's going to be tough to see it. And then on top of everything else, guys, I read something this uh, week where, um, you know, we, we talk about where the cap getting back to normal and the cap is strapped this year. And I read something that basically the cap is going to be a little bit higher next year, but not significantly. The big jump is back to normal isn't going to be for another two years. So we're going to be going into next year as well dealing with a, a tight cap and probably a lot of one-year contracts. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, especially knowing Kyler is approaching getting that uh, extension. I, I just think the Kyler's... NFLPA will have something to say about that, by the way, the whole 2023 going back to normal. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, and I, I, from a cap perspective, I think you can still manipulate it and pay guys multi-year deals and backload it and all that. But going back to Kyler, I, I think the floor – that he has is so extremely high that when Kyler Murray's on the field, you're always going to have a, a chance to win. He's never going to be worse than a league average quarterback because of those legs. And now we really get to see in year three and year four, what he can do in the passing game. Like you said, Paul, where you feel like you do have some upgraded personnel this season and can he reach that next level consistently throwing from the pocket? Because if he does it and he gets up to, seven and a half yards per attempt, 7.7, 7.8, then you're talking about a legit MVP candidate. And I think he was at 7.1 last season. If that's about where he's going to be, then you're a good quarterback, but maybe not elite, elite. But I just think with the way you see trajectories of young quarterbacks from rookie year to two to three to four to five, they always improve a little bit as they get more knowledge and they're still in their physical prime. And that's what I'm counting on for Kyler. I just think he's going to keep getting better these next couple of years. And once that passing game does catch up to what he can do on the ground, he's just going to be so hard to stop. And that's why I feel like he's going to be one of the best three quarterbacks, top two, maybe even the best quarterback in the NFL at some point. Interesting. Well, Leave it to Kurt Warner to have an astute opinion on quarterback play. We had him in the Big Red Rage a couple of weeks ago and his assessment on Kyler going into year three because I made the analogy. And once again, sometimes I feel like, well, this is idiotic to say, oh, he's going to have that breakout year in year three like Baker Mayfield did and Josh Allen. Yeah, but he's already, and once again, I'm debating myself. Well, he's already been rookie of the year and he's been one of the three Pro Bowl quarterbacks. Okay, anyway, to take the next step is where I left it with Kurt. And his opinion was he has to go from feeling the need to make 10 wow plays per game to only four or five. There needs to be more layups, as Kurt put it, an avid pickup basketball player. Darren, in your parlance there, more layups, more plays from the pocket where he's easily discerns and deciphers, oh, okay, I go through my reads to leaving this and just take what the defense gives you, move the chains, and then don't feel that urgency or just the all-out need, the offense needing Kyler to make 10 wow plays per game with the athleticism instead three to four to five per game and then beat that defense with your mind and your eyes and your accuracy sort of the way Kurt Warner used to play quarterback obviously in that fashion but that did make a lot of sense to me do you, do you get where he's driving at with that assessment Kyle I was I'm going to disagree with that as, as as much as I probably shouldn't because it comes from Kurt Warner but I just feel like they're different quarterbacks like Kyler Murray's game is 
built around those type of plays when he scampers for 20 yards and, and he throws a beautiful deep ball. And I don't feel like he forces that sort of stuff. Like we saw that with Josh Rosen where he did hero ball and it got him in trouble. I think Kyler Murray dumps it off a lot and does quick game a lot. I think sometimes it's almost to the detriment where he does quick game too often when he can try to hit that intermediate pass. And maybe we're kind of saying the same thing where he needs to get those intermediate 10 to 15 yard passes going better. I think that's the key for him, but I don't, I don't see a big issue with his decision-making and his style. I think it's good. I just think it's a matter of connecting on those intermediate passes, whether, and I also put that on the receivers. I don't think there was enough separation from guys not named D hop last season. So maybe the proof will be in the pudding these next two seasons. If you've got Rondale Moore out on the field now, and he's a difference maker, what does the offense look like with some more dynamic playmakers? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, there were a number of layups at least attempted, but a lot of times it was a Cardinals offense going laterally and uh, you know, to the detriment of, of trying to, uh, to get the first down. So uh, I guess the question is, will one of those weapons, here we go in three, two, one, be Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> uh, here we are, it's mid-May, and we still don't know. Maybe the most shocking aspect of this offseason, I mean that, it's mid-May. We still don't have an answer on Larry Fitzgerald. And I can tell you guys that within the last 24 hours, I spoke to someone, let's just say close to Larry, who's pretty sure that Larry's still not sure what he's going to do. Wow. What do you think he's trying to decide? Do you think he's trying to figure out if the fire is still there? If he can truly walk away from the game right now, knowing deep down that he can still play the game at a fairly high level. And, and I think he believes that I, I really do. Um, you know, is he wondering, wow, where do I fit? All of a sudden, if I did come back, what's my role? Uh, if I wasn't all that big a part of the game plan and get all that many targets in 2020, what would it look like in 2021? Uh, I, I just, I, I'm trying to figure out what Larry's trying to figure out and decide and discern right, right about now. And if indeed he has yet to reach an ultimate decision, yay or nay. It's a, that's fascinating. If, I mean, if he truly has not figured it out yet, um, I mean, he had to know that if he took a super long time to decide, the team was going to have to move on without it. It reminds me a little bit as the news comes out with uh, Arizona State basketball and Remy Martin, the point guard, and he was going to be going into the uh, NBA draft, but he also entered the transfer portal in case that doesn't work out for him. And, um, you know, part of it was like they, Bobby Hurley needed a decision and to be able to fill those holes you know, and he didn't think he was going to come back, but you can't, you can't just sit around as a team, just like the Cardinals couldn't just sit around in case Fitz didn't come back and, and not take a Rondale Moore, that kind of thing, or not sign an AJ green. Um, I, I just kind of felt like the writing felt a little bit in concrete with AJ green signing, because I felt like that was a similar signing, but I guess you could always have a situation where Larry stays in the slot and AJ green's outside and, you could have more kind of be more of a gadget guy. I don't know where that would leave Christian Kirk. Certainly would seem like Isabella would be out the door. And I'm not saying any of this cannot happen, but, and I get being on the fence. It's just, it, it's just tough. It's just tough all the way around because there are, there aren't a lot of spots here right now. And, and I, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't, and I know I've said it a million times, you know, that I don't think Fitz will play anywhere else, but I can also say on a personal level, I don't, I would rather have him not play anywhere else. I like the idea and the story of him playing for the one team. I'm not saying he won't at this point, because if, if it's true that he hasn't decided, then maybe all things are still up in the air, but I don't know where else he would go either. And once again, this was that person's opinion. If Larry didn't tell him as much, from what I ascertained, Larry hasn't told anyone anything definitive but maybe is that because he's not sure. And I will say this, and not that he's ever listening to Cardinals Underground because I'm feeling fairly confident that he would not, but I would also think Larry is the type of person that would be sitting back going, 
why does everybody care so much? Why is everybody talking about this? Why are you even thinking about this? Just let it go. Because I, I just, I feel like that's kind of how he kind of interpret all this on a week to week basis as talking about his future. Well, I'll be honest with you. It's not even at this point in mid-May, it's not even the most urgent question involving Fitz right now. There is a new front burner question involving Larry. You guys realize that. Remember what Cliff Kingsbury said a couple of weeks ago that him and Larry, all they've talked about is Phoenix Suns basketball and investment advice. Okay. Give it up, coach. What's the investment advice? We know Larry and we know who Larry knows. And he hangs out with the likes of Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon, all these Wall Street, uh, you know, influencers. Uh, you know, what was the investment advice exactly? Larry playing in 2021, that can wait. I need to know now. What was the stock advice and the market advice exactly from Larry to Cliff Kingsbury? Where's coach when we need him? I, I think that's right up Cliff's alley too. He's talked a couple times about if he didn't get into football coaching, he was going to be a real estate maven and, and kill it and be a financial planner or whatever. I think he wanted to make a lot of money going that way. So I think they're like-minded like that. And at this point, Fitz is probably just enjoying the ride with the Suns, man. He's, they're, they're doing awesome ever since he came aboard. So he's probably just flying to each city and watching Suns games. And maybe he forgot he's a football player. He just thinks he's an owner now. Hey, he's getting ready for the playoffs for the first time in a decade. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you know, you're right. Maybe we'll, Larry will give us an answer when the Suns are out of the playoffs. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Once again, you know. Cardinals Underground, by the time we're done, sometimes it takes longer than others, but by the time we're done with this podcast, all brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, by the way, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, we do come up with a brand new, unique, innovative, and somewhat plausible theory as to where Larry's at in his big decision. You're going to have this absolutely nailed on one of these theories. I can't wait to play them back and just cherry pick the one that you got right and just blast that on the internet. Be like, listen to what Paul said in February. He called well, it. The, the best thing would be Ignore for, March. For, for, Omo to, uh, for Omo to go ahead and, and string together all these segments together and we could just listen to them all like together as one podcast. <laughs> All the theories, one after another, just uh, edited together, back to back to back to back. Sure. So, okay. Uh, well, I don't know what else, uh, you know, we, once again, it's sort of a process. By the time we get to our Larry theory, uh, that kind of brings us to the end of Cardinals Underground. Although we do want to give props to DeAndre Hopkins, if it's indeed true that he's coming out with his own cereal to benefit charity. Do you guys see this one? To, to fight domestic violence, the proceeds, a portion of the proceeds of his brand new cereal. Uh, DeAndre's Hop Box apparently is going to be the name of the cereal, and it's going to be similar to Honey Nut Cheerios. So uh, what do you think? Are you guys going to be a buyer? I, I still have a, a empty, but I still have a box of Jake's, Jake Flakes up at my desk. So <laughs> That's right. That's good. That's, uh, you know. I mean, with a name like Hop, though, how can he not have a beer not coming out? That's what I want to know. He, he needs to have a beer. There needs to be something with Hop and beer, like an IPA. There needs something. I, I got to be honest. DeAndre seems like the kind of guy that doesn't do beer. He seems like he sips something or other. Mm. Okay. That's just my, my, my vibe from him. By the way, I just Googled up some great beer names. These are already taken, unfortunately, that involve the word hop. There's a microbrewer that makes a, an IPA called Smooth Hopperator. <laughs> There's another brewery that makes a, uh, an IPA, Hoptimus Prime. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, there's another one, Hoptimum uh, IPA, Hoppy Ending Pale Ale. There's one that's uh, out there. So, you know, there's got to be some version of uh, D-Hop that can be turned into a beer cup. I'm thinking he goes the liquor route and comes out with hopscotch. Oh! Okay. Oh, you know hey, ladies and gentlemen! <laughs> that did end it. That did end this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs>